0: Am I the only one who finds John's first letter difficult to pin down? Does anyone else feel we're being taken round and round in circles only to keep coming back to the same things? Well, let's not despair. We are looking at the same wonderful thing from all different angles and seeing how it all joins together. My problem is I like stories and John is not telling a story here so we need to look elsewhere for examples of how John's principles work out in practice. The letter as a whole is about encouraging Christians in difficult times, both in a period of persecution such as the century when it was written, and also nowadays in looking at our own discipleship. How far have we really got? How do we get further? All you need is love, sang the Beatles. Love is all you need. It appears that John might agree. But isn't God a person, like a a father, or a shepherd, or even a mother hen? What do the Beatles think love is? Are they thinking that love is an emotion, uh, a blind force, or a feeling? Love in the Beatles' song and love here do not mean quite the same thing. Love has many shades of meaning. Often it does involve emotion and feeling, but when we speak of God's love we mean his settled determination to do good for the object of his love. No doubt God has emotional feelings about us, but by his love we mean that he has decided to do only good to us or for us, and nothing will change his mind. By the way, he is all-powerful and unstoppable. So whatever he has decided to do in his love, he will be able to do in his power. Chapter twenty twenty one of Luke's Gospel uh, starts with Luke, Jesus commenting on a poor widow who put two copper coins into the temple collection. And Jesus remarks that her gift was more than the rich people's larger gifts, because she had given all she had. But why did she do this? We are not told and we cannot ask her now. Her reasons might have been wrong, they could have been pride or false giving about teaching or even trying to bribe the living God who has everything already, or more probably they were good, thanksgiving for other good things in her life, or to support the temple for others to worship in, or out of an overflow of love for God and a desire to worship him in the symbolic way that the temple offered. What might motivate us to give our last two pounds? In verses 9-10, to John reminds us that God's love does go a long way. So determined was he to ensure our salvation that he sent his son Jesus into the world. Not just to be a teacher, or a storyteller, or even a miracle worker, although he was all of those, but to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We sometimes think about how this must have felt to Jesus, God the Son, to be here and to allow himself to be made a sacrifice on the cross. Although Jesus shared the Father's love for us and desired, to end, desired the end result and reward of the cross, we also realise that for him looking forward to the cross can hardly have been a pleasant prospect. We might try to picture ourselves in his sandals, perhaps having a memory from times gone by of being sent to see the headmaster, but we know it must have been much worse than that. Or again, I wonder how often we think about how God the Father must have felt watching Jesus' long journey towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. None of us have ever had to do anything quite like that, so we can't imagine it, only guess. And even if we think of the hardest thing we've ever had to watch happening to our children, it must have been so much worse than that. God's love indeed goes so much further than ours. In several places, God says that God lives in us. For example, verses 12, 13, and 15. What does that mean? In John's Gospel, chapter 14, he tells us that Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. We will doubtless think about this some more at Pentecost, 23rd of May this year. But in a nutshell, when someone decides to follow Jesus and asks him, the Father sends the Holy Spirit to live in that person's life. Luke 11.11 If they will listen to him, he will help them find a way through life, avoiding pitfalls and finding ways to creatively please the Father. If they will obey him, the Spirit will quietly make good adjustments to that person's inner life. More about that in a few weeks' time. But for now, John's point is that once we realise that the Holy Spirit is now working in our lives, we also realise that God really does love us. On to verse 17, and Jesus Uh, John makes another observation, in this world we are like Jesus. Really? Well, we have similar bodies of course, but in what other ways are we like Jesus? When Jesus came to earth and became man, he became like us, and that automatically makes us like him. If you choose a house like mine, then my house is like yours. The difference between us and Jesus lies in the quality of his life. He is a better man than we men are. And had he been a woman, he would have been a better woman. Whether man or woman does not matter here. Either way, we do not always do the right thing, but Jesus does. We do not always find the best thing to say to someone, but Jesus does. We do not always pray according to the Father's will, but Jesus does, and so on. In our lifetime of discipleship, these gaps are being narrowed. That is the work the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Little by little, or sometimes in a rush, he motivates us to love like God loves, and enables us to love with the love of God. And the more we enter into the life of loving that, like God loves, the more we do things out of that shared love, and the less out of fear of punishment if we do not. And the more we experience the life of loving like God loves, the more we realise that we really are not going to be punished for what we have done in the past. And we realise that he will not abandon us, and we need not fear that he will cease to provide for us, And the final facet that John discusses is approached by thinking about the opposite of what is true. For example, we know a worker is a proper bricklayer when he builds a good wall. If a wall is bad, we doubt his qualifications. Bill's a bricky building walls, his walls are true and square. But William's walls are wonky walls. He's not a bricky at all. And likewise, a disciple who says he loves God, that God lives in him, but does not in fact love his brother or sister, is seen to be not much of a disciple at all. So, what questions does this letter leave us with? Looking inward, John's thoughts invite us to consider our own progress in the life of faith. How far have we really come? Have we begun to love like God loves, or does our charity begin, and also end, at home? Looking upwards, dare we ask our Heavenly Father to lead us further in the adventure of faith? Or do we need to ask first, that he reveal more and more the depth of his love for each of us, and so to drive out the fear that keeps us back? Looking outwards, are we sure enough of God's love for us to risk loving other people we don't know well? Perhaps people who seem undeserving of help, or who even are undeserving of help. To love them first as he first loved us